From KCLU, this is The 101, a podcast where we journey up and down Highway 101 along California's central and south coast, sharing stories and conversations from Oxnard to Santa Barbara to Point Conception and beyond. I'm your host, Michelle Loxton. It's season five, a season about discovery. It's been 20 years since the opening of Ventura County's main juvenile detention facility. Since then, the approach to incarcerating children in California has changed significantly. These days, the overarching goal statewide is to reduce reliance on incarceration. That's reflected with this facility in Oxnard that was originally built for around 400 young detainees. But today, houses only around 80. What's improved is our understanding of who should remain in custody and who should not. You don't see kids coming into custody for lower level offenses. Lower level offenses such as shoplifting, drug possession, constant absenteeism from school or tagging of buildings. Instead, for these kids, the alternative has become diversion programs or mandatory attendance at clubs outside of detention facilities. Clubs where juvenile offenders attend art workshops, sports classes, and get mentors. In this episode of The 101, we visit one of these local programs. I got in trouble with the cops, and my life before was pretty miserable. I'm going to be honest with you. I I didn't know who I was. I, I didn't have nobody to guide me. For more serious offences, we go inside the Oxnard Juvenile Detention Centre to discover if programmes there are helping keep young people from coming back to detention again and again. Being in detention, I would say, hasn't helped. It hasn't helped me because I'm still here, you know. How new thinking on juvenile detention is affecting local facilities and youth. This is The 101. I'm Michelle Loxton. At the Boys and Girls Club Teen Centre in Oxnard, a group of youth are being coached through a boxing class. Outside of the ring, some are practicing their jabs, and inside, others are warming up for a match. Nearby is the basketball court, where youngsters are shooting a few hoops. The court is where you'll often find Moises. I enjoy playing basketball, shooting hoops, uh, getting mad because I'm losing, or, you know, just just appreciating those, those fun moments. It's a great way to get your mind off things. Moises comes here often because he says he gets something very specific from the club. The reason why I kept on coming here was basically um, it's not really like a like a freedom of what they let you do. It's uh, basically like like it's more of a comfort. He originally came to the Boys and Girls Club not by choice. You see, he was actually required to attend by the juvenile detention system through a program called ERC or Evening Reporting Center. Before I was uh, I was a troublemaker, obviously, <laughs> and um, the reasons why I was a troublemaker because I like didn't have anybody there for me, the way I do now. 
I was out there being dumb, making dumb decisions, stuff that I shouldn't have done. Moises says he was impulsive, and that behavior led to him getting into trouble with law enforcement. I got in trouble with the cops, and my life before the Boys and Girls Club was was pretty miserable. I'm going to be honest with you. Juvenile records are confidential, so I don't have exact details on what Moises did. He also kept those details pretty vague when I asked. He did tell me he was required to attend 20 hours at the club. He did art classes, technology tutoring, sports, and went through a drug prevention program. Moises recently turned 18. His life has not been easy. I'm not living in the best situation. Um, I am currently homeless. I mean, it, it... It really is concerning, but it's not concerning because I've been through the same situation before. Um, I've gotten actually used to it. Attending this club changed things for Moises, he says. I I came here and and there was actually people that, that showed that they cared. All the teens that attend this club have mentors. That means they check up on them, see how they're doing, you know, not just here, but, you know, in school or whatever. Oscar Ariano, the club's unit director, is a mentor to many, including Moises. So programming, mentoring, um, dinner is, is a big, you know, it's a big bonding time for us. So um, everyone sits around, has dinner. The kids love to help serve dinner. They also have themed events around the holidays and go on field trips. Ariano says they even keep up to date on Moises' high school football games, so they can all go and watch if they can. We like to support outside of the clubhouse as well. I always tell, like Moises, you know, let us know when your football game is because we want to go and support you. Ariano says Moises came to the Boys and Girls Club from a gang-related environment. As staff, we don't really go into the specifics about um, what they did to do their hours. Uh, What we do kind of do take note of is any gang affiliation just to make sure that there's no conflict between members. Our, our goal here for the, for the ERC members is to let their guard down and be teens. Ariano says he's seen Moises blossom. He has let his guard down. He says he continues to push his mentee today. As we've learned, Moises still comes to the club even though his required hours are long completed. I'm always on him and I want to make sure or sometimes I don't even ask him. I say, hey, we have a field trip. I need you to go. This was really good for you. Huh? What? Why? No, let's go. So I, I push him. I really push him. I found myself doing better. I found myself actually going out, actually going to events, actually going to concerts, going to um, places. What Moises has experienced at the Boys and Girls Club is an alternative program to incarceration. When a kid goes to juvenile detention, they define themselves as a criminal, as a convict. When they come to the Boys and Girls Club, they're a member. They're a positive kid doing great things for the community. Andrew Peake is the Director of Advancement for the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Oxnard and Port Wainimi. What we've seen is when you connect young people to positive role models, both peer role models and adult role models, they flourish. Those role models don't always exist in a juvenile incarceration setting or traditionally did not exist in a juvenile incarceration setting. So putting them in a more positive environment helps them move past mistakes they've made and go on to a better future. And this alternative experience is the whole point. 
It's part of a shift that's happened within juvenile detention laws in California over the last 20 years. A shift away from a reliance on incarcerating young people. So, big picture now. What do these changes look like in juvenile detention in Ventura County? We've only seen an, a decrease in the number of juveniles that are in custody. This is Kerry Vredenberg, the chief deputy for the Ventura County Probation Agency. She oversees everything involving juveniles within the agency, from detention to investigations and supervision, such as ankle monitoring. Having been with the agency for 27 years, she has seen the changes take place. I think what's improved is our understanding of who should remain in custody and who should not. And that's really the crux of what's happened over the last two decades in California. A look at who should be incarcerated. How much of their behavior is normal adolescent and teenage behavior versus how much of it is actual criminal behavior where they need to maybe be removed from the community. And and back in the day, a lot of kids were in custody for what would be normal teenage behavior. For lower level crimes, there are new programs that focus on an alternative to detention. All sorts of efforts made to address kids in a different way. So many of those local law enforcement agencies have put in their own diversion programs. They're training their officers differently to look at what youth really need to be arrested and brought into custody versus, hey, I can give you um, an opportunity to go through this diversion program. And if you successfully complete it, your citation goes away. The arrest is as though it never occurred. Something like what we saw at the Boys and Girls Club. And this change in policy is reflected in the data. The Hayward Burns Institute is a national nonprofit focused on eliminating racial and ethnic disparity. It has studied arrests and detention rates in Ventura County over the years. They've observed the volume of youth arrested, referred for detention, and actually detained has drastically decreased since 2009. A caveat, though, they have seen disparities between minorities widen. They told me via email that, quote, overall, justice involvement is down for youth, but the disparities gaps have widened between black and Latino youth compared to white youth, end quote. According to the Ventura County Probation Agency, as of November, There were 76 youth in custody, three white or Caucasian inmates, and 70 Latino or Hispanic. Since this data shows the populations of Latinos and whites are pretty much equal in Ventura County. Back to the volume of youth incarcerated now. And another way the change in incarcerating young people is illustrated is at the Ventura County Juvenile Facilities Complex in Oxnard. This is where juveniles are detained in the county. Construction of this facility was completed 20 years ago. It was built to hold 420 youth. 
We've never been anywhere near 420. Today, as we already learned, the facility detains 76 youth. Kerry Riedenberg takes me on a tour. As we walk through the facility, there aren't any bars, which is what many think of when they think of prison. Rather, solid cinder block walls and secured doors leading between different sections. Riedenberg describes the facility like a campus, with its long hallways and large recreation yards with the neatly mowed green lawns. So this is the part where it makes me feel like a school. It really looks with this large, vast, park-like, soccer field-sized grass area. There's a basketball hoop. It really says to me it's more of a community and a campus environment. She says this is the aim across California, to make the facilities feel less detention-like. And more like a home-like environment because the idea surrounding that is that that's also going to impact and have a positive impact on the youth and their rehabilitation. So that's what we're headed towards. There are different murals throughout the facility. There's one inside a recreation room painted by juvenile detainees in 2019. It has a theme. Freedom is the choice, is inscribed on the wall. There's a man painted with two different types of clothing on, split between the left and right side of his body. You have the choice whether you're going to be wearing the institutional attire or whether you're going to make a different choice and have yourself be wearing regular business attire out in the community. Art is one of the programs they offer within detention. There's also poetry podcasting and sports. There's also school and mental health services, like programs that bring in miniature horses or dogs to help with anxiety, anger or trauma. And the Boys and Girls Club opened their first club inside a California juvenile detention centre here. So we have learned California has moved away from a reliance on incarcerating youth. That doesn't mean there aren't some youth that the law says need to be detained. They are the ones who have committed very serious crimes, or as Breedenberg describes it, have the highest needs. And I think that we see that these kids truly need the most amount of work. They need the most amount of intervention. She says often they have endured trauma. And they're a product of that, unfortunately, and uh, they make choices based on what they've had to endure. Those currently held at this detention facility range in age from 12 years old to 23. If they were incarcerated for a purely juvenile offence, they can stay at this facility up until the age of 25. Their crimes range from failing to comply with probation terms or continuing to use controlled substances and presenting a danger to themselves or others. There are also those who have committed sex offences and even murder. Next, you'll meet two young men incarcerated at this facility. Both have been in and out of detention from a really young age. There wasn't an alternative to detention for them because of the serious nature of their crimes, but I met them to find out if the programs inside detention are helping decrease the cycle of re-incarceration. 
I met with Daniel and Anthony individually inside one of the rooms in the detention facility designed for family visitation. Toys for babies and toddlers are neatly laid out on the floor. Daniel's most recent incarceration began in April of this year. Many of the young people I spoke to for this story are vague about the exact actions that landed them in trouble. And remember, juvenile records are confidential. Daniel just says... Bad choices. And just living like kind of outside of the box. Daniel did share he was involved in stealing a car, some probation violations and getting into fights while incarcerated. He also has a charge, which he didn't elaborate on, currently working its way through the system. I'm fighting a charge on a case, so I don't know when I'm going to be released. Yeah, I'm possibly going to be here for a couple years. Daniel says he got involved with a gang at the age of 11. Been a part of that lifestyle since now. 18 years old, so it's been quite a while. He says being incarcerated has become part of that lifestyle. So it's just kind of like hard to not deal with being incarcerated because eventually it's either going to come your way, you know? It comes with the gang lifestyle, but it doesn't mean it isn't tough. Just because, yeah, we're incarcerated doesn't mean we still can't feel things, you know? Like, I get mad. Everybody does, you know? I get sad. Everybody gets sad. Like, I may not show it. I may not sit there and like let it be known that I'm sad or something like that. But yeah, there's times where I'm sitting in my, my cell, I'm sitting right there, I'm like, what did I do wrong, you know? But at the same time, there's times where I'm like, what more can I do? Just got to sit here and tough it up, tough it out, you know? Daniel does take part in some of the programs that are offered. He's attending college and studying sociology. He's also part of the basketball and soccer programs. But he doesn't believe that these programs and being in detention have worked when it comes to rehabilitating him. Being in detention, I would say, hasn't helped. Like, it hasn't helped me because I'm still here, you know? If it were to have, have helped me, I wouldn't be sitting where I'm at, where I'm being here, you know? Because of his pending case and the uncertainty around that, the future is a tricky thing for Daniel to think about. The present situation is more pressing. Worried about what I got to do in here, you know? Worried about what I got to protect in here. And then I met Anthony. He tells me he has been in and out of juvenile detention since he was 11 years old. He's now 19. His most recent incarceration began about two years ago. Before that, he did a separate three-year stint. Yeah, I've been here. I've been here a lot. Yeah, so I'm like around 20, around 20 times. Unlike Daniel, he does have a date where he could be eligible for release. May 5th, 2025. Anthony is very informed about his rights and the laws around juvenile detention. He quoted a few assembly bills to me that have affected his incarceration. Yeah, you got to know what's going on in court, you know? He is a little bit more open about the most recent crimes that landed him in detention. For this this time, I got brought in for three armed robberies, um, two carjackings, uh, possession of a weapon, 
make a gun and possession of drugs with intent to sales and a DUI. Anthony got involved in this lifestyle at about 10 years old. Up until then, he says he was actually doing really well at school. I was the head of the chess club. I was smart. I was always the smartest kid in my class. I was doing high school work, like in fifth grade. But then his family circumstances changed. My my dad, um, he went he went to Mexico. My biological mother, I never knew her. So it was just my grandmother and my older brother, and me, and we were pretty we were pretty broke. We were pretty poor. Living the three of them in one room, Anthony felt he was taking up space and wanted to do something to contribute. So he went to the streets, as he describes it. And I started, I started being an entrepreneur in a sense, <laughs> making money to bring home, and it all just kind of went downhill from there. But it's all right, like, you know. I learned a lot of things in this, like through everything I went through. Um, I don't regret any of it. If I if I could do it again, I'd do it again. Regret is not something Anthony says he has, but he has experienced loss. There's a lot of things I wish never happened. Like I've lost a lot of friends to this, um, but it, it made me the person that I am today, you know? And that's that's probably the part that I don't regret. Anthony's lack of regret extends to his crimes. I want to be completely honest with you and hope it doesn't affect the way you see me, you know? <laughs> but, like, nah, I don't, like, I've... I felt bad, like, you know, I'm like, oh, damn, that's crazy. Like, you know, they were just, they were just doing their thing and this happened to them. But, like, the way I see it, the way I've seen it since I was a kid, it's, it's, it's a doggy dog world, you know? And others have to lose for others to succeed. That kind of thinking didn't help when it came to his incarceration. For all my crimes, I actually, I actually got sentenced more years because the DA said I didn't have any remorse. <laughs> But, like, yeah, like, sometimes I do think, I think back, like, I'm like, damn, none of this would have never happened if, if I did this. None of, like, none of this would have happened to those people if I just did this instead. But you'll go crazy thinking about stuff like that. While incarcerated, Anthony is trying to turn his life around. He graduated high school at 16, and he's getting a college degree in business management. He feels the practical programs in juvenile detention have been most helpful. Where we could learn, like a job, learn how to do stuff like that, that's better. So that way, once we get out, we can know what to do. Some of us have been in here since we were kids, you know, and we're not getting out until we're, we're adults. Anthony's long-term goal is to be released to a California fire crew program created specifically for the formerly and currently incarcerated. It's good. Like, the way I see it, like, I've, I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life, you know? <laughs> And that's probably, you know, I could finally do something right. Like my daughter could be like, oh, that's, you know, that's my dad. That's my dad right there, you know. Anthony's daughter is six years old. He speaks to her every day. But he decided with her mother that she wouldn't visit him while he's in juvenile detention. He hasn't seen her in two years. If Anthony can stay out of trouble while in juvenile detention, he has a path out of this cycle of incarceration and a possible May 5th, 2025 release date. Moises, Daniel and Anthony, their stories are different examples 
of a juvenile detention system trying to provide more chances to young people. Just know that there are people here who do want help. And it's just a thank you for the people that do, that do see us as people. That's it. Head over to kclu.org slash podcast where you'll find the text version of this episode. There's also links to data I've referenced. The 101 is produced by KCLU Public Radio. We are NPR for the California Coast, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Elisa Barber. I'm Michelle Luxton, the host and creator of The 101. If you have an idea or a story for one of our next episodes, email me at podcast at kclu.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about it today and don't forget to subscribe. I'd also love it if you'd rate or review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps others find our podcast. This is The 101. Thanks for listening.